Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. Who are we supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch. Perfectly natural. Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by just Derek. <laughs> just Derek. <laughs> Amir is preparing for a big exam, so he's taking this week and next week off. He's got like doctor stuff. Doctor stuff going on. He's only saving lives. <laughs> Fucking slacker. Fucking slacker. <laughs> because he's out, I guess, I mean, not to say that he doesn't like horror, but he's the one who made this joke last week. You know, we get to do a little bit more horror while he's gone, so. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, I don't want to make it seem like he doesn't like horror, because I feel yeah. like he does. He'll watch it with us, yeah. It's just coincidental, I feel, that every time yeah, he yeah, yeah, needs yeah. some time off, it's like we're covering a horror movie. Tonight, we're discussing the number one movie in America right now, which is insane to me. Zach Kreger's wild new horror movie titled Barbarian. I think that just goes to show like the dearth of new movies these last couple yeah. of weeks where this is number one. Not that it's not deserving of number one because there's a lot of word of mouth and people are really liking this movie. This movie premiered at Comic-Con back in, I want to say, June, July? Comic-Con's usually in July, I think. Uh, yeah, July. In July. Yeah, so this movie premiered in July at Comic-Con. People were going buck wild over this. Really good, positive word of mouth from that first screening. And people were like, oh, this is like the new Malignant. And people were hyping it up. So before we get into like our reaction to the movie and like a review, uh, when did you see it? 
I saw it this weekend, so I've a couple days removed from it now. Yeah, I'm like a week and a half removed from it, so okay. my memory might be a little fuzzy because I just got back from Toronto International Film Festival where I watched like 12 movies in two days, so like All the I'm movies. a little delirious. <laughs> but yeah, so I saw this like a week and a half ago. Do you have any familiarity with Zach Kreger? I actually don't know him that well. I don't either. I was kind of looking at his filmography and I don't think I've really watched anything else that he's directed. Yeah, he's primarily known for being in that comedy troupe, The Whitest Kids You Know. And he's done some acting too in the movies like Friends with Benefits, Wrecked. And I haven't seen anything else he's directed either. But this is uh, his big foray into horror as writer and director. And... This is a movie where you want to go in blind. You don't want to know anything about it. Yes. That's what everyone says. Like, oh, this movie is like wild and got a big twist in it. And you don't want to know anything about it before going into it. The thing is, everyone's like, oh, this is this year's malignant. And when you say that something is this year's malignant, I'm expecting something to be as good as malignant, which Mm -hmm. this was not really, I feel. I also feel that comparison is off and it's not entirely accurate. I don't know what you feel about that. Luckily enough, I did not hear those kind of comparisons before. Oh, really? Into this? Yeah, no. Okay. I didn't hear that comparison, but I did know that there was like a twist. Mm -hmm. So like when you hear, oh, this has an amazing twist, then your expectations also kind of like shoot up a little bit, right? Like then judging like, oh, is the twist amazing? And then even me, I was kind of like, eh. You know what I mean? I know, right? I, I guess I'll start off and say, like, I did enjoy my time with this movie. I actually I did really... Too. Li- I did too. I really, really liked the first half of this movie. Me too. Me too. Not to, like, give anything away. Like, there's very clearly, like, a first half, and then there's almost, like, this weird part 2 slash 2A and then 2B interluded together in this movie. And, like, I didn't really enjoy the second half as much. I still thought it came together well enough that... I enjoyed my overall experience, but I thought the first half was really tight and really, really enjoyable. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I agree like with everything you said. I think mm-hmm. there's a very rigid act one, act two, act three. And it's a little weird how they did it. Uh, I yeah. don't know if I love what they did with the structure. I understand why they did it. We'll get into it later. Yeah. But I think it does add some choppiness to the pacing of the movie. I don't like talking about pacing too much just because like... I don't know, sometimes movies, they take their time in different areas. And yeah, I think it's kind of like a little shallow criticism. But I I, I do think like it does affect uh, the watchability of this movie a little bit. Yeah, pacing is one of those things where it's like so subjective. One person can love it and one person can hate it. For sure. It's so hard to like judge if it's good in one way or another, you know what I mean? Mm Because that's one thing that will affect everyone very, very differently. Yeah. Do you want to give like a really brief synopsis? Yeah, so I think I'm just going to read the official synopsis um, because it doesn't give anything away. A young woman discovers the rental home she booked is already occupied by a stranger. It's double booked. Against her better judgment, she decides to spend the night, but soon discovers there's a lot more to fear than just an unexpected house guest. Uh, So the movie, it stars Georgina Campbell, Bill Skarsgård, and Justin Long. Like I said, I think the big issue for me is that it was double hyped for me. It was the comparisons Mm. to Malignant, and people were saying, like, oh, there's a gigantic twist. Don't go in having read spoilers or anything. 
So I was expecting like something mind blowing, and it didn't quite deliver on that end. Mm-hmm. But I do agree. I think the first act is phenomenal. I really, really do like what Zach Krager did with Georgina Campbell and Bill Skarsgård in the first yes. act, just building that tension, not knowing where the movie is going. Because like I was pretty much on edge like the entire time. So right off the bat, the movie is like pretty unsettling because so it's like pouring rain. And then Georgina Campbell's character, she tries to check into this Airbnb. And this Airbnb is like a pretty modern, like it's not like fancy or anything, but it's like a nice little house. It's clean. It's modern. It's like a typical nice Airbnb that you would stay at. But it's in the middle of rundown, destitute Detroit suburbs. I thought that stark comparison already kind of adds this like sinister tone to this movie. Yeah, there's this great shot at the beginning of the movie where she's like standing outside. One of the plot points is that she can't get into this house. Mm -hmm. The key's gone, right? When she tries to open this lockbox to get in, it's like, well, she's checked in, but she can't seem to find the key. And like, she's kind of just standing out there. And like, she looks out in the street and it's like, completely dark like there are absolutely no other street lights except for like the one that's kind of over her house that the house that she's in so like like it's super creepy and you can't even tell what the other houses look like there it just looks like there's nobody else there and then to have that stark contrast later when you see it in daylight it's crazy when you see all the houses are just like dilapidated and clearly you can tell like this part of town is completely abandoned and to see this really pristine like yellow house that looks absolutely new almost and everything else around it is just like i said abandoned it, it, it is a great visual contrast that i really enjoy yeah and i love what they do with bill skarsgård's character absolutely because i don't think it's intentional because i read in an interview that it wasn't intentional he just cast bill skarsgård in this role but there's this like expectation of him being sinister in some way you know just because he's like pennywise right Mm -hmm. and he does have this unique look to him that has like this creepy vibe and there's a lot of social commentary in this movie too i also think that commentary is a lot stronger in the first half than the second half. yes absolutely because this whole thing with georgina campbell's character tess is that It's an awkward situation to be in this house, double booked with some stranger that you don't know. And she's a woman. He's a man. They don't know each other. He convinces her to stay overnight. It's like pouring rain. Who knows what's like in this abandoned neighborhood? Seems dangerous, right? So she takes up his offer to like, you know, just stay the night. And then they're going to iron out the details on this double booking snafu the next morning. But then there's like... This whole kind of, not cat and mouse, but like, you know, she's definitely on edge and he's trying to make her feel safe. But he's also like an awkward guy, right? Mm -hmm. He says things that are a little off-putting. He's like pushing the wine a little too hard. And there's like this, who's going to take the couch? Who's going to take the bedroom thing? So I thought that was fantastic. Especially because you don't know what the movie's about. And this unsettling dynamic between them is like really pressure cooker, powder keg. You don't know where it's going to go. And I found that very, very effective for a horror movie. What I kind of got was that this director is definitely a fan of horror movies and like understands horror movies. And I think what's so effective about the first half is that he plays 
on a lot of the tropes I think we understand from like horror movies, right? Like this mm-hmm. idea of the heroine or hero that makes smart but also unwise choices at times this idea that you know she's a single lady that is left alone with a guy and like we don't know if he's nefarious or not if he's actually being a good guy and i mean i'm calling a little bullshit on the whole like casting bill skarsgård purposely or not because i couldn't get that out of my mind you know this is bill skarsgård he plays pennywise right and yeah, yeah, and yeah. this idea that like this whole time I could not tell if he was trying to lure her in or trying to lure her so that something nefarious could happen. Is he actually a good guy or is this all a ploy, right? And yeah, I think one of the big shocks for me, or like one of the big things that I was not expecting, was that we got to a second day with them. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a point where like they're laughing, they're enjoying wine, like he seems really charming, and then she goes to bed for a little bit, locks the door. But then she wakes up in the middle of the night hearing some like skirting and then like he's still asleep on the couch. Her door's wide open. So you don't know if he did it. He's just pretending to still be asleep. And well, what happens is she's asleep and she closes the door mm-hmm. before going to bed. And then in the middle of the night, someone opens the door. Yeah. And then Bill Skarsgård, his character's name is Keith. He's sleeping on the couch and he's having like night terrors or something. So yeah. it's like this really creepy moment where Tess goes outside and he's like, uh, did you open my door? It like really startles him awake too. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, because like, yeah, she's really trying to like rouse him from like his night terror, which I feel like is not something you should be doing to someone. But yeah, the first of many questionable decisions that she makes in this movie. Yeah. What was really surprising to me was that I thought, okay, shit's gonna hit the fan now, right? Like I thought this is the point where this is maybe where the action kind of starts. And then it was a little surprising to me to, you know, she actually goes back to bed and then the next thing we know, it's morning. Nothing actually happens this night, right? Like I kind of was expecting something to happen already. Yeah, I was definitely waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. Tess is in town for like a job interview. And Mm -hmm. then Bill Skarsgård, he like knows some artists or something that's in common with who she's trying to interview for. So they like actually hit it off. and. They're, like, goofing around, and they actually, like you said, they start sharing, like, wine together. And Bill Skarsgård's Keith, he has, like, this pretty funny moment where he, like, teaches her how to put, like, the uh, the duvet cover on or yeah. whatever, which I thought was very funny. it looks funny. like a ghost, right? He yeah, it looks like, like a ghost. ghost. It's funny. And now that they're getting along, I'm like, okay, now, like, the other shoe's going to drop. He's going to be, mm-hmm. like, a weirdo creeper. Yeah. And, like, he's going to drug her or something. And that never comes. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, wow. I give the movie credit for like pulling the rug from under us in that regard. Well, even when he says the fact about like how, oh, I've watched your documentary. You should interview me because I happen to Uh be within the subject matter that you're going to like do a documentary about. It seemed too good to be true. Yeah. And she's like, like, no way, you know. (laughs) So like even all those things were like typical red flag horror tropes that is trying to lead us to know he's a bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, jump ahead a little bit. Like, he's not. We find out later he's not the bad person, right? That really took me by surprise. But even when she comes back the next day, she gets chased into the house by the homeless guy, right? Saying, like, you know, Mm -hmm. you got to leave. You got to leave. And then she finds the room in the basement. Yeah. And, like, he comes home and he makes the unwise choice to want to check it out, right? Check out the basement, yeah. The character of Tess was really confusing to me at times because at times I felt like she was the really smart heroine, right? When she first opens the secret door, she's like, nope, 
right? She's like, no, yeah. I'm not going to go in there because I thousand percent I've agree seen with horror you. movies. There's no way I'm going to go in there. But then she still goes in there. Yeah. Even the Keith character makes the mistake. No, I want to see this. That was a point where I was like, okay, he's just trying to lure her in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To like this basement. But then she makes the dumb choice of going after him. Yeah. There are times where she makes really smart choices. And then there are times where she makes the typical like dumb kind of horror tropey choices, right? I mean, the characters in this movie are as smart or as dumb as the story requires them to be in that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is, I feel like, a flaw of a lot of horror movies. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I forgive it. I forgive it in this one, too. It's just fine. Like, you just need to get these characters into the places that they need to be. And sometimes it's just very inelegantly done and, you know, you just have to kind of gloss over it and that's fine. I don't know if I agree with that. Just because I I, I think that the director is purposely trying to write a character that atypical, like smarter than your typical heroine or anyone stuck in a horror situation. The whole nope thing or like, you know, some of the things she does in the second half is like super smart and like super atypical. But then... It is still littered with moments where she's like, makes absolutely the wrong choice. (laughs) Yeah, I have to go back. Or like, I have to go see what's down the hall. It's really conflicting to me. And I wish she was kind of smart throughout the whole thing. And it's just maybe like the consequence of others that she falters, right? But then you kind of have to blame her because then she also still makes the wrong choice Mm -hmm. at times. I don't agree. Like, I think that was, in my mind, the wrong choice. Like, I think there could have been better ways to write the story around her and like, and oh, yeah, make for the sure. character a little bit stronger but i understand what you're saying like i mean she makes the wrong choices in this movie because the story needed her to make the wrong choices yeah so it's not just the basement because the basement's like fine but mm-hmm. there's like this secret hidden door this thick rope leading out to a hole in the wall when you pull on the rope it opens like a hidden door behind the shelves or whatever and it goes down like this dark tunnel system underneath the house and at first she does like some smart things where she like props up the mirror to shine Mm -hmm. the light down the dark hallway because she can't see but then like she actually goes down there and she finds this like room with this camera set up and this dirty nasty bloody mattress like that's like your first sign where you should be like uh i'm getting the fuck out of here you know so this movie was like In broad strokes, similar to Malignant, in that it starts off as one thing, and then there's a big twist, and things just go off the rails. Which I think applies to a lot of movies, so, like, I feel like that comparison is just... I think just because Malignant is, like, so fresh in people's minds, it was only, like, last year, right? So, Mm -hmm. it feels like an easy comparison to make, but I don't think it's, like, a one-to-one Because this movie is silly at times, but I don't think it really plays into the camp or, like, the deliberate homage to Giallo or anything like Malignant is. Uh, I think James Wan is doing something very different with Malignant than Zack Cracker is doing here. Yeah, agreed. Do you want to talk about when this movie, like, completely flies off the rails? Which, in a good way, not like, oh, off the rails in a bad way. Because I do like the twist in this, even though I feel like the second half is a little more deflated than the first half. Yeah, so we've kind of mentioned like the Keith character, right, played by Bill Skarsgård, has to go see this weird, I'll call it like a torture room or whatever, right? But then he kind dungeon. of- dis- <laughs> Dungeon, right? But he disappears, right? We're like, well, where did he go? Why isn't he anywhere to be found? And then 
I guess he finds like an even more hidden area right behind a wall and it goes into this sub 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 basement this underground cavern and you hear him screaming out for help but like in the distance in the distance and not all the time like not constant only occasionally you're still like as an audience member you're still very on edge you're still very like is he doing this to lure her down or is he really need help right and then like she gets down there finds him and he's like no we got to go this way and she's like no we should go this way i came from this way this is where we can leave and he's like no 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 something bit me there's someone something down here with me and like as an audience member you're just like well why is he trying to get her to go the opposite way of where we all know they should be going right the way that she came from back to the house (laughs) back to the house you're still like oh my god this guy's totally trying to trap her and then all of a sudden this tall lanky naked woman comes out of nowhere and bashes his head into a wall and he's dead yeah they kill him they kill him and all the things that you thought about him all the things i thought about him as an audience member were completely wrong right he was actually like a good guy all the things he did the night before to be like chivalrous were all like actually intentional right and like Mm -hmm. they were kind of sowing seeds for like this budding romance too right like he was actually a good guy it seemed like she was actually happy to see him the second day All that is out in the air, right? Yeah. You just see this, like I said, tall, lanky, naked woman standing over Tess, and then it cuts to black, and it basically starts the second half of this movie, which almost kind of starts over, right? Like, we are in this bright, sunny, what's, I'm guessing it's like Southern California, and we see the Justin Long character just driving along the shoreline, and I'm kind of like, You don't know what happened to Tess. It was a very abrupt end to the first half, having to then shift your focus onto a whole new character. Yeah. So I feel like some people are taking issue with that, where it's like Mm -hmm. very abrupt and very jarring. But I actually liked this transition to AJ, Mm -hmm. who's uh, Justin Long's character. I think it was a smart way to like split the movie. And we'll get into it later. But the movie does it again in the third act. Yeah, that was like, all right, you're going a little too far here. You're really mm-hmm. like chopping this movie up. But I thought the AJ stuff was fine. It definitely deflates the movie a lot because yeah, you're starting new with this new character that you haven't seen before. You're trying to like catch up with what his deal is. So he's like the sitcom actor and he's about to start this new show. It's like supposed to be a big show. And he gets a phone call and apparently uh, there are rape allegations against him by a co-star. And he's fired from the show. Very Me Too moment, right? Very Me Too moment. So I think like the gendered tension in the first act of this movie, the very ambiguous dynamic between Tess and Keith is so much better than the stuff with Justin Long's AJ, um, Mm -hmm. which is very like heavy handed Me Too stuff, which I was like, yeah, I can just take it or leave it. At first, you're like, oh, maybe they're doing something interesting where maybe he actually didn't sexually assault his co-star and like is doing a commentary on that but soon after you're like it's obvious that this guy's a total piece of shit right yeah and part of this movie is not that elegant i think like the commentary i I said is a little heavy-handed but i think justin long is hilarious as aj i think he's Mm -hmm. very very funny (laughs) Mm -hmm. i think all the comic relief in this movie comes from him because The whole thing is like how he's related to the primary storyline of the house is that 
he owns the house, right? And he has like a landlord that takes care of the house for him. And he needs to scrounge up money to pay his lawyer to defend him against these sexual assault rape allegations. So he has to go to Detroit to this house to take pictures and sell it, which is one of the funniest sequences in this whole movie, I think. Where he also finds, like, the dungeon and, like, the sex room with a bloody mattress and the camera and stuff. And he doesn't even, like, blink at this stuff. All he's thinking is, like, oh, I joked in, like, my letterbox reviews, like, this is a movie where, like, they ask, can you add sex dungeon (laughs) murder rooms to your Zillow square footage or whatever? (laughs) Which I thought was so funny. Because he's, like, measuring all the disgusting dungeon rooms yeah all he's thinking about is like can i add this to the square footage so i can sell this place for more money which i thought was fucking hilarious yeah and he like brings a tape measure and he's like measuring it out it's pretty funny and like i was pretty tense during that moment too because you're fully expecting this giant creature to come out of nowhere and grab because you know what's down there now right (laughs) yeah (laughs) the funny thing is when he finds the sub sub basement cavern he starts measuring that too right like yeah yeah it yeah, still yeah. doesn't phase him like he sees there's like cages down there yeah and he's like oh what the fuck is that and then he starts going to measuring that space which i thought was really funny yeah at this point it's when he also sees this creature and he gets chased by it and gets trapped and that's when we find out that tess is also still alive right they say at one point it's been like a couple weeks, right? Because he calls the landlady, the one who's like the rental agency, and then he's like, well, the last person that checked in was a couple weeks ago. So, yeah. like, that kind of gives us the heads up, like, hey, Tess has been in this situation for like maybe, what, two, three weeks. Yeah. So, he falls into this pit, and there's a great jump scare where, like, Tess, and she's, like, all fucked up looking because she's been in, like, this pit for, like, three weeks. Because AJ has this light, it pans over and Tess's fucking crazed face jumps out at you, which is fucking great. And this is like another moment where it kind of displays how smart she is, right? Because she's like figured it out. Uh She's figured out how to basically not die, right? And that Mm -hmm. this creature, all it really wants to do is be a mother. A mother to her and then uh, presumably now this new Justin Long's character of AJ. She like extends out this large baby bottle with I'm guessing is filled with her breast milk. She wants him to drink it and Tess is like just drink the milk. You know that's what she wants. Just drink it. And like she does. this shit was fucking nasty. First of all that's not how breastfeeding works but whatever. I'll suspend my disbelief there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah this bottle is fucking nasty. It's all Mm -hmm. crusted. Mm-hmm. and dirty and it's got like these hairs on it yeah. they're just like all around the nipple and she like extends her hand down and makes aj drink the breast milk from the bottle it's fucking nasty it's like one of those gross out moments in this movie where people were like cackling nervous laughter in this yeah. theater it was very strange i like the camera work really a lot too in this scene because yeah it makes the camera it work seem, is great it also makes it seem i honestly could not tell like how big this thing was it made it seem like almost like the size of like, one of her breasts right like it's almost if you think about it like that's a very comical sized baby bottle but then the way like the camera looks it's like that thing's pretty huge, right? Like, in yeah. her hand. So, like, that was, like, really funny, too. And it's, like, drip. It's so gross. It's so gross. Yeah, like, this is just, like, one of those moments. Like, Tess is, again, the smart one who can, like, make these really intuitive decisions, keep herself alive. Well, you know, Justin Long's, like, this idiot that just wants to get away. And then it was really funny is that, like, he refuses. So, she, like, grabs him, takes him to this other room, which has this TV with this VHS playing on loop about 
how to like breastfeed your children. And like, she's trying to like force him to now feed off of her breast. That's also like this gnarly scene that ugh, it is crazy. I do think like after this big gross out scene, I think the monster of the mother, you kind of get like diminishing returns after this one, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know what it is. And there really aren't that many more surprises in this movie. And when you realize that, you're like, oh, that's it? You know, like, I was expecting a little something more just because of how hyped people were. Mm -hmm. I want to say it's 100% my fault because you should never buy into the hype, right? I feel like uh, people are like, oh, this is like the next malignant. That's like a crazy twist. I was expecting a little something more and it didn't really deliver on that especially because like i watch so many horror movies and like i've mm-hmm. seen some disgusting shit too so like this is actually like okay <laughs> i mean yeah it's gross but like i've seen much 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 worse i mean if you're listening you're already spoiled but you know <laughs> to get in i guess to the last part of this movie you know we flash back again I mean, what are you gonna say like 1950s 1960s right i think it's just the 80s is it the 80s it seems older I think it's based the 80s. on like the vehicles and the look i mean timeline wise it probably would be right because he's like yeah uh maybe like yeah. 70s right because because that's like already 40 years ago right that's true the you're 80s? right it probably yeah. is like early 80s or something like that and it flashes back to the original owner of this house who is played by a very recognizable like character actor right Richard Brake. Richard Brake. He's like very much like, you know, Bill Skarsgård, who has this very creepy face and he is evil, right? And you find out like he abducts women and, and keeps them locked up in his basement like we've seen already. And like he reproduces with them. I think the narrative is like he then has sex with the babies and like it kind of keeps reproducing within the same gene line and it creates this kind of mutation of a woman, right? Yeah, so he's a Targaryen. <laughs> he's a Targaryen? <laughs> he looks like one. Um, yeah, so this whole flashback is him, like, just stalking women and abducting them into the tunnels beneath his house. Yeah. I guess it's necessary to set this up, but they already did this with AJ, where it just takes this left turn where you're not expecting to, mm-hmm. like, divide this movie up. And they do it again, which I thought really, like, halted the momentum. Because there's a point where Tess's character does actually escape. And, like, the homeless guy is there to help her escape. And basically says, like, oh, don't go back in there. You know, she's terrible, but there's something even worse down there, right? Mm -hmm. And that's presumably the Richard Brake character, I think he's alluding Mm -hmm. to, right? Like, that we haven't met yet. And Frank, the dad. So you're kind of expecting, like, something that's even worse down there but then when you finally meet him down there he's like this bedridden old guy that just kind of watches old videos of himself like what torturing these women or abducting these women or whatever it is and he at one point gets a hold of a gun and like he doesn't even do anything with it right except for shoot himself so it's like it becomes really deflated at that moment where you're like oh okay this is the moment justin long dies right because like justin long gets stuck in a room with him and that's how we find him and like oh, this is how Justin Long's going to die. And then that doesn't even happen. That kind of like hype up of, well, this character is even worse. And like we get a whole flashback of him. And then it just kind of deflates, right? And it doesn't really lead to anything memorable in my mind. Because AJ finds like all these tapes. They're like sex tapes of him just raping these women. You don't see yeah. any of it. Thank God. But like, yeah, they're like clearly building Frank up to be like this even worse monster. But it definitely seems like an afterthought. They don't really do anything with it. Mm-hmm. I was reading a little bit about the development of the movie, and Zach Kreger 
he says he was inspired this nonfiction book called The Gift of Fear. And it's the section about women trusting their intuition and to like not ignore red flags in like their interactions with men. I feel like he got the idea for this movie from that. And he made a killer first act. And then the second act with like Frank and the mother and all that is just something else that he added in. And you can kind of tell because the first act of that is way better than the second act, I feel. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the Tess and Keith stuff is just so much stronger than everything else. Yeah. But the mother stuff is fun. There's a lot of fun stuff in there. Yeah. uh, It's gruesome. It's gross. Like when Keith dies, like. That's a gruesome death. Like, he just gets yeah, his it's gnarly. head bashed in against the wall, like, a million times and, like, pulverized skull, you know? Yeah. And, like, Tess is the type of character, you know, who's, like, trying to be, like, the heroine, right? She's trying to go back and go inside and save AJ because AJ does get left behind. And, like, another kind of really ham-fisted, roll-your-eyes moment for me was when she brings the police there and they're just like yeah they're just like total shit cops yeah that was really ham-fisted too i was like yeah we get it we get it we get it yeah yeah we get it a cab you know she also goes back for aj right yeah yeah because that's like also an altruistic moment that i didn't a hundred percent buy oh okay Mm -hmm. just because like you've been down there for three weeks these cops aren't helping you you know what's down there. You know what monstrosity the mother is and what she's capable of. I don't know. Maybe it just shows, like, how selfish I am. I'd be like, fuck that. I am fucking out of here. But she's like, I got to go back and help AJ, this rapist. I mean, I guess she doesn't know that. But, like... Yeah, because she doesn't um, know anything about this character. Yeah, right? she doesn't know about him. But, like, just to save someone, like, you don't even know, you know? Yeah. I thought that rang a little false, but whatever. Maybe I'm just a selfish piece of shit. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like it is kind of very simple characterization, but I mean, yeah. it does seem like she's the really altruistic. No matter what, I want to help this person. And I guess a detail that I forgot to mention is like when she goes down there, you know, AJ still has a gun and accidentally shoots Tess, right? Like, yeah, you're very much led to believe the terrible person this person really is, right? With the rape allegations and like kind of shooting first and not really being mindful of others and like, you know, there's a point, like I said, they actually do escape and they're with the homeless character and the homeless character is like, hey, I've been living in these streets for like 15 years. There's no way this person is going to come here now and like find us. And like she comes bombarding through his encampment or whatever and like rips, rips his arm off. arm off and beats him to death with it, which was a great <laughs> visual. The homeless guy also gives some backstory too, right? Yeah. Because he tells them about what the mother actually is and... Apparently, she's just, like, this product of, like, inbreeding, years right? and years of inbreeding, like, rape and yeah. incest from Frank. I guess you could just figure out by the context of, you know, what they find in the dungeon. But mm-hmm. the, the homeless guy, he spells it out. Yeah, so he dies, the mother kills him, and then the final couple minutes of this movie is just the mother chasing AJ and Tess. Yeah, because I guess he lives under, like, what is, like, a water tower, right? Uh huh. And then they climb up to the top of the water tower to try to escape. But then there's a moment where, like, the mother is still chasing them. She's like hot on their tails. And, you know, AJ, of course, makes the decision to be selfish. You know, at this point, he recognizes this creature just wants to be a mother, right? Like, what mm-hmm. Tess realizes very on, he finally, I think, catches on and uses Tess as a sacrifice, right? To throw her off this water tower, knowing that this 
motherly being is going to then try to save her and jump with her which she does like they both fall and hit the ground and it looks like they're both dead you know ag comes down you know we find out that tess is still alive because the mother takes most of the brunt of the fall but then we also learn that the mother is of course still alive right she like leaps up and puts her nasty like brittle fingernails like right into aj's eyeballs there's like all this goo and stuff coming out of his eye sockets it's nasty it's a gnarly kill and it's satisfying because you know like aj is such a piece of shit oh yeah he deserves what he gets the mother at this point wants to like carry her child home. The test character wants to like carry her home and like she feigns like, oh, I'm too hurt. Please don't lift me. And it is kind of sweet, right? There is a sweet kind in of tender moment. In a fucked up way. Where, yeah. In a fucked up way where like you understand like the motivations of this mother character. It's like, yeah, she just wants to be a mother. Like she was trying to protect Tess. In this moment, she just wants to make sure her kid's okay. You know, not lifting her up because Tess is injured. And it leaves Tess open to then, you know, grab the gun and presumably shoot the mother character in the head and then goes to black. You know, that's kind of how the movie ends. Yeah. Presumably Tess is alive. The mother's dead. AJ's dead. Keith's dead. I mean, what'd you think of the overall ending? I thought the ending was fine. I feel like the sweetness of the moment, the fucked up sweetness of the moment is a little undercut by how little actual character work they do with Frank and the mother. Mm-hmm. I just think both those characters are a little more like diminishing returns once we go through like the halfway point of the movie. They don't really do yeah. that much. With um, they don't even show up that often. Frank just like other than the flashback to the eighties, he just shows up to kill himself. Yeah, basically. And because you know the mother character has like been raised down in like this dungeon, whatever, right? Like she can't speak. There's a lot of like heavy lifting exposition from others, but then you know she herself can't really vocalize what she's feeling, and we have to get a lot of it from what other people are saying, right, or what other people are expressing about this character. So like. It is a little hard to kind of sympathize with her, especially because she is technically like the villain of this story. But like, I feel like at the end, they wanted us to a little bit, but I don't know if it completely lands right. No. Yeah. How many people were in your theater when you were watching this? Eight. (laughs) Not that many. Oh, really? Yeah, I know. I live in a small little city and like, yeah, yeah, we have a local theater that doesn't like get a lot of people. So when I say eight, that's actually like a decent amount amount for like what I typically see in my theater. So like, Mm. that's a good indication. Like what what was it last week? I said there was like 10 people or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And like that's that's a good indication of like, oh, okay, that's kind of a good amount of people. I wish I could have seen this with the bigger audience. Maybe I would have had a different reaction, you know, Um, but Like I said, I really, really enjoyed the first half. I thought it was really clever playing on some of those tropes. And I liked, you know, the Georgina Campbell, Bill Skarsgård dynamic in the first half a lot. Yeah. I like Georgina Campbell's performance a lot. She's really good in this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's really great. But once they introduce like the AJ character and I guess more of the mother and Frank character, I think that's kind of where the movie doesn't know exactly what it's trying to do, what it's trying to say. Yeah. And I think Justin Long does a great job with his performance. I just don't think it's written particularly well. Yeah. Playing against type. Yeah. You know, I feel like Justin Long usually plays characters that are like too nice, nice to a fault. Mm -hmm. And here he's just a raging asshole, which I really liked seeing him in that type of role. Mm -hmm. So they did like a interview before the movie came out justin long and he was talking about zach Krager who approached him about the role and he was like oh he wanted me because like he wanted like a tom hanks type character 
which I thought was fucking hilarious after seeing <laughs> this movie because of just like what a piece of shit he was, which is so fucking funny. But yeah, he's definitely the funniest part of the movie. I think the character's pretty thinly written, but mm-hmm. he does the most he can with the character. And yeah, and he's absolutely. very, very funny. This movie is funnier than you would expect, I think. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is just like laughing from being grossed out. <laughs> yeah. I had like a packed theater. It was like a press screening. So like all the journalists and stuff were there and like a lot of people were in the audience. So there's a lot of gasping, people watching through their fingers, you know. It's a good communal experience if you can get like a packed theater. Yeah, I still think it was a really fun experience. Yeah. Like I said, I think it is really smart at times, right? There are moments where this movie is very, very smart. And I appreciate that about any movie, especially horror movies, right? Like horror movies or anything that's very like, you know, that's trying to fit into a particular genre. Like there's so many tropes and so many things that have already been done that I think that this one was pretty smart in the way it kind of approached at least his first half. Yeah. I think it's safe to say that we'd both still recommend this and like, you know, it's pretty thin out there with movies at the moment. So I think this is worth your time if you're looking for a movie to watch. I agree. I would recommend it. It's fun. Uh, Give it my signature B minus. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess that will conclude this week's podcast then. Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com and you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. I also reviewed this movie, so you can check out the review. Um, we'll put the podcast episode on that review. If you wanted to uh, find me, you can find me at the World's Okayest Photos and Screen Agents Guild. Amir might be, I don't know, maybe setting up his Airbnb or something at the moment. Um, no. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> he's double booked. He's double booked. <laughs> but if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast apps. Uh, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a great rating. It really helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on Malik... Oh, wait, no. Barbarian? <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to shoot us an email at jeff at strangeharbors.com. We like getting listener mail. Sometimes we read it on the pod. So feel free to do that. And we will see you guys next week. See you guys then.